stay with us, Lord, for it is evening. And the day is almost over. Let us pray. Speak to us, living God, as you have spoken to our ancestors. Through the voices of your prophets, the breath of your spirit, and the life of your Son, so that we may live according to your word, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Look around you, whatever room or space you are in at this moment. Perceive the awesome presence of the holy in your midst. The God of heaven is with us. The eternal word spoken for us. The divine spirit enlivens us. Join your voices with the heavenly chorus in worship. Holy, holy, holy Lord, heaven and earth are filled with your glory. In awe and wonder, in hope and freedom, we come to worship God the source, ground, and goal of all creation. We are people born of water and the Spirit. We have made promises to be Christ's faithful disciples and to show his love to our life's end. Although we fail to fill these baptismal vows, God's faithful love endures forever. Confident of God's grace, let us confess our sin and the sin of this world. Please join me in the prayer of confession. Creator God, all that is is because you are. You call existence into being, persons, families, lands, and nations. Each of these rises and falls with the gracious gift of your creative, self-giving word. You alone are eternal. You alone will never fall. You alone are worthy of our deepest devotion. We confess that we have given our whole selves to other creatures, that we have fancied as gods that which was given rise by your grace and will fall by the same. Persons, families, lands, nations. We have even fancied as gods that which was given rise by our own ambition, institutions and ideologies, political parties, economic systems, and the wealth and prestige they create, which blinds us to the harm they inflict on others. These too will cease. How then have we come to worship them? Forgive us, O God. Show us your glory, which surpasses all our wildest worldly ambitions, that in your light they would show pale, that in your light we would see and live the heavenly life for which the whole cosmos was created. Amen. We have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God and Christ Jesus. 
the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. The peace of Christ be with you and flow through you. So be it. Amen. Tonight's scripture reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Let us listen for the word of God. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and exalted throne, the edges of his robe filling the temple. Winged creatures were stationed around him, each had six wings. With two they veiled their faces, with two their feet, and with two they flew about. They shouted to each other, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heavenly forces. All the earth is filled with God's glory. The doorframe shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. I said, Mourn for me, I'm ruined. I'm a man with unclean lips, and I live among a people with unclean lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heavenly forces. Then one of the winged creatures flew to me, holding a glowing coal that he'd taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has departed, and your sin is removed. Then I heard the Lord's voice saying, Whom should I send, and who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. God said, Go and say to this people, Listen intently, but don't understand. Look carefully, but don't comprehend. Make the minds of this people dull. Make their ears deaf and their eyes blind so they can't see with their eyes or hear with their ears or understand with their minds and turn and be healed. I said, how long, Lord? And God said, until cities lie ruined with no one living in them, until there are houses without people and the land is devastated. The Lord will send the people far away and the land will be completely abandoned. Even if one-tenth remain there, they will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, which when it is cut down leaves a stump. Its stump is the holy seed. Holy wisdom, holy word, thanks be to God. The trees that were still standing in Grandmama's front yard were swaying in the wind and rain again. In my three decades around that house, four trees had already come down by wind or chainsaw. Number five was not especially surprising, but it did come a bit like a thief in the night. Around midnight, the ground around a hundred-year oak began to lift on one side and then on the other, back and forth, toward the house, away from the house, until finally the ground came loose. The roots went vertical, the trunk almost in slow motion turned horizontal. The giant tree fell diagonally across the roof, limbs invading bedrooms like an overzealous SWAT team. The deluge of a rainstorm poured in, destroying hundred-year-old furniture, the hand-painted family china, the dress that Grandmama had laid out for my cousin's wedding that weekend. Grandmama had a few staples put in her head at the ripe old age of 93, but aside from having her home of 50 years destroyed, was otherwise okay. If a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, does it make a sound? Well, 
The answer is clearly yes, but we can have that discussion another day. If a tree falls in the middle of your home, your life, your hopes, well, that's pretty severely disorienting and scary and even quite dangerous. In 722 B.C., Israel's first giant tree falls. The Assyrian army destroys the northern kingdom of Israel. This isn't the first disaster in Israel's history. 200 years earlier, a kind of mini-civil war broke out and the kingdom split in two. But it is the first significant institutional death. Israel is no more, leaving only the southern kingdom of Judah to carry on the covenant that God made with Abraham so many generations ago. Isaiah is what we might call an insider prophet in Judah and in its capital, Jerusalem. He's a, a native son of Jerusalem's elite. He has an audience with the court officials and with the king himself, which likely means that Isaiah was good at telling powerful people all of the things that they like to hear, that God's favor is with the throne, that Judah is sturdy as an oak, that no disaster like that taking place just across their northern border could ever befall Jerusalem. God will protect Jerusalem from all her enemies because Jerusalem is the home of God's true covenant people. But then, in the year of the king's death, something happens to Isaiah. He reports being transported into the heavenly temple where he is as never before overwhelmed by the totalizing presence of God, the inimitable holiness of God, the uncompromising truth of God, and immediately upon coming into this presence, Isaiah knows that he's been telling a lie, living a lie, that his people have been living a lie, proclaiming that we are a holy nation while disregarding the humanity of our own people, neglecting and despising the vulnerable and poor among us. These details aren't in the text we read tonight, but they are clear in the preceding chapters. You cannot love God and be indifferent toward your human siblings, as another biblical author will put it. Isaiah is sinful, or as he says it, a man of unclean lips. Isaiah's nation is a sinful people or a people of unclean lips. A clear vision of the holy brings this sinfulness into stark relief, and yet, maybe the truest word in this passage, yet the prophet proclaims, I have seen the Lord. Even before we get to Isaiah's actual prophetic message, there is gospel, which is helpful because Isaiah's message is pretty hard to swallow, but the good news that precedes it is that our sin, even when it is great, does not disqualify us from God's call to true life. Your sin, your failures, whatever they may be, do not disqualify you from the life God created you to live. Isaiah's sin is forgiven not because he said the right prayer or performed the right penance, but it is forgiven in order that he would perceive God's holiness and receive God's call to life and truth. Divine forgiveness in this passage is generative. It is not a reflexive act. If sin clouds our vision then the gospel is like a pair of contacts that allow us to see what's really going on in heaven and on earth. And sadly, in Isaiah's world, what's really going on 
is that the time for repentance has passed. Healing, rescue, is not forthcoming for Judah. It's not exactly the kind of message you'd hope to deliver to a newly anointed king or to an overly patriotic populace for that sake. And Isaiah responds how I imagine that most of us would. Wait, what? That can't be it, right? How long are we going to wait to tell them that you're really going to fix it all? Because that's what you do, God, right? You fix things for us. You are going to fix this, right? God says, no. Jerusalem will be cut down like the mighty oak you fancy yourselves to be. Over the last few years, I found myself in an uncharacteristically high number of conversations about institutional endings. Most dramatically, of course, the end of civilization as we know it due to the catastrophic effects of human-induced climate change. Equally terrifying to some, the end of the American empire. Just this morning, I got a, a news alert about the end of democracy, the end of capitalism, the end of the mainline Protestant church, the end of the quote-unquote traditional family unit, the end of the patriarchy, even personally, the end of career aspirations, the end of a relationship. Top to bottom, the prospect of most of these endings is indeed terrifying, the catalyst of existential dread, which is why Isaiah protests the message God gives him. Surely, he says, this is too severe a punishment. Surely, God, you are not speaking of the end of Israel the end of temple worship in the holy city, the end of the covenant relationship between God and the people of God. It can be hard, I think, for us to appreciate the gravity of a situation that is so distant from our own. And so to hear this message with Isaiah's ears, I want us to listen again to God's word, but as if it were spoken directly to us here and now. The United States will come crashing down and cease to exist. The church will be reduced to a stump, its life and light burned out completely. You have a calling, a responsibility to speak truth into the midst of all of this, and you will fail. Most people won't listen to you, and even those who do will not understand. They'll get angry at you. They'll say you hate your country, that you're a heathen, and that you don't belong here. But don't take it personally. They're just confused. They've gazed worshipfully upon the false gods of wealth and status and power for too long, and it has clouded their vision so they can't see what is true and beautiful and divine. This is really happening. The sturdiest institutions that you've built your life around are falling. That guy on the corner with a the end is near sign is right, but with one caveat. The holy seed is in the stump. Now, to be clear, I'm not actually making specific predictions about this nation's or the church's future. I just wanted us to get a feel for how unsettling it is to consider these kinds of endings. The ground beneath our feet shakes when mighty trees fall. They cave in our roofs, exposing our secure and well-ordered lives to the deluge of wilderness, not just property damage, but the destabilizing of civil and international relationships, the loss of rich cultural heritage and meaningful tradition, 
When mighty trees fall, they destroy our treasured heirlooms, depriving us of the inheritance we so highly prized, not just furniture and place settings, but the American dream of a family, homeownership, health, employment, financial stability. Even if they were dead anyway and needed to come down long ago, when mighty trees fall, they do real harm to real people and especially those people made vulnerable by their sin sickness that rotted the tree to begin with. Isaiah's first words in this heavenly scene are, mourn for me, because it is right to mourn when mighty trees fall, even if it is also right that they be felt. But the deeper truth undergirding this message is that every tree falls. No empire or nation or institution or structure is eternal. All creation is finite and will eventually taste death. It doesn't matter how chosen or righteous or scrappy or influential. No matter how terrible, ruthless, or seemingly indomitable, none but God speaks an ultimate truth. None but God may utter the final word. How beautiful that the prophet's call speaks both of these words. It speaks the hard truth that most of us would not admit on our own, that our fallibility and finitude are showing, that an unwelcome end is not only possible, but quite likely near. And it speaks the surprising final word, that the holy seed is the stump. The promise of an ending life in God is not threatened by the inevitability of individual or institutional death. Better still, it is precisely in our death to these worldly ambitions that our truest life, our God-ordained life, takes root. The holy seed is the stump. Isaiah's gospel is not an alleviation of temporal pain and struggle. No, it is the promise of a new day. Less than 48 hours after the tree fell on her house and sent her to the hospital, my 93-year-old grandmother arrived at her eighth grandchild's wedding, staples and all, in a new dress, radiantly unstained by the death of that mighty oak. No terror, no loss could ever have kept her from the joy and hope of her youngest daughter's youngest daughter's wedding day. No gift could possibly be more meaningful to a bride and groom than to bask in the unflappable commitment of the matriarchy, bearing witness to the singular eternal truth sprouting forth in their lives. In the familiar words of the sermon text for that ceremony, love has no end. The wedding that day was lovely, and there is important symbolism to be found in concluding tonight's sermon in a vow to unending love. But it is Grandmama's approach to life, exemplified in her persistent, joyful presence, that preaches Isaiah's gospel most profoundly. Trees fall. Nations fail. Institutions crumble. Houses collapse. Aspirations die. Memories fade. Relationships end. I don't know which of these are true for which of you but I do know that none of them is what is ultimately true about your life and the life of your people, whoever they may be. 
The fall of a mighty tree may be good news, and it may be bad news, but it is never the most important news. It may be a word of mourning, or it may be a word of celebration, but it is never the final word. The judge of all creation has spoken both truth and grace in a single word, and it is final. May we sing it out for all eternity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our parent in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. With God's whole created universe, we give thanks to God for the unfailing gift of love and life. We are grateful for a God who remains with us, stays with us. Even when we are angry, hurt, and distraught, God remains persistently with us. Even when what we know is loss, even when the world turns upside down, God remains with us, and God is still calling us, calling us together to a table like this, where we may feast together, drink together, worship the living God together as one body. This table does not belong to any one person, one church, or denomination. This is God's table, and God welcomes everyone to God's table. You belong here, and you are welcome here. And this table is already set, so come, let us feast together. Beloved, the Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. And surely he will come again. Beloved, these are the gifts of God for each and every one of us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the body and blood of Christ, broken and poured out for you. Amen. 
Let us pray. O God, send us out from our Lord's table to answer his summons into new life and to follow him with joy and gladness. Set our feet in his holy way, that our lives may be signs of his life, and all we do may show forth his love. Amen. God of peace, who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, make you complete in everything good, so that you may do God's will, working among us that which is pleasing in God's sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Live a life worthy of your calling, giving glory to God in all things.